Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Food and Sight podcast where I, Kimberly Wilson, Chartered Psychologist and Food Bod, take you through all things food and psychology. Now sometimes that's breaking bread with a guest and hearing about their food stories and sometimes that's looking at how the food we eat can affect our mental health. But today I take a look at the social and economic role of food and what the rise of a certain type of food product tells us about our changing relationship with food. And I'll be asking the question, are we too busy to chew? In this episode I'm playing with a new format which is something that, if I keep it, I'll call the honest review. Because I occupy quite an unusual professional position in that I'm dual trained in psychology and nutrition, I sometimes get asked to try or review products. And it's probably worth saying that I have a very strong policy on endorsements, mainly that I will not recommend a product or intervention that I don't use. If it's a product that I wouldn't use, but I think might be of benefit to you guys, then I will always ask for evidence to review it myself before talking about it. And in this way, I make myself quite awkward and unemployable because I know that you guys trust the information that I put out and I really, really value that. But there are some things that I think might be beneficial or at least interesting. And this is where the honest review comes in. If a product falls into the category of being either useful or interesting, I'll give you guys an honest review. I'll try it myself, look at the evidence and try to give you an overview that is as unbiased as possible. I think I should probably say upfront that this is a very niche episode. Some of you may not even have heard about the type of products that I'm talking about. And even if you have, it might not be obvious that these products represent a shift in our society. But I hope that I can make the case that the way that we eat and how we treat our food is a good indicator of our social priorities, our economic demands, and the psychosocial dimensions such as status and aspiration. I'll also be delving into some of the nutritional implications of the product that I tried so that if you want to give it a go yourself, you will know what to expect and what to look out for. So if you stick with it, I hope you find it interesting, but I totally understand if it's not your thing. Okay, so on with the episode. As any regular listener to the podcast will know, I am a big fan of food. I have a food business and I've been known to bake competitively in my time. So you might imagine that I would be sceptical about a food substitute. But the whole point of trying to take a scientific perspective is to be open to have your opinion changed in the face of good evidence. So before I settled down to record this podcast, I did three things. First, 
Back in March, I contacted the makers of a UK drinkable meal to invite them onto the podcast so that they could tell me themselves about the benefits of the product and who the target market was. Unfortunately, they were, at the time of recording, which is now July, still too busy to speak to me. However, they did send me some samples to try. So full disclosure, I was intending to buy the product myself, but I did accept the offer. So the second thing that I did was to trial the product myself and on a couple of other people. Finally, I created an anonymous survey and invited consumers of drinkable meals to tell me about their own experiences. And I've put all of that together into this episode. So I hope that what you will hear is a balanced overview of these products. So drinkable meals, what is it and where did it come from? I first heard about drinkable meals after watching a Vice documentary a few years ago about a guy called Rob Reinhardt. This documentary is only about 20 minutes long, so I recommend you watch it, even if it's only to get an insight into the mind of the maker. And I'll pop a link in so that you can just click through and watch that yourself. Rob was an American software engineer who lamented that despite society's extraordinary technological advances, food was still so, in his words, inefficient. In a 2013 article, he said, I'd been reading a lot of books on biology and I started to think that it was probably all the same to our cells whether it gets nutrients from a powder or a carrot. We'll get to that later. But Rob decided that he could produce a more efficient, nutritious food and created a product that he called Soylent, a powdered food that you mix with water and drink. Now, it should be no surprise that these products arise from Silicon Valley and other international tech hubs. And that, I think, is for two reasons. One, these are areas and groups of people who are preoccupied with innovation and optimization, about being faster, leaner, and more efficient in everything that they do. And this attitude doesn't just stop at app development. It extends to enhancing or hacking the self whether that means wearing the same thing to work every day so that you minimise the number of decisions you have to make or experimenting with nootropics, this is a population of people obsessed with getting the job done faster. Nutrition is one of the primary ways that the innovation or optimization mindset is applied to the human body. Whether that's tracking blood glucose, trialling different intermittent fasting protocols or cycling in and out of ketosis. So in this sense, it should be no surprise that they should attempt to challenge the very nature of what food is. But there is, I think, an important secondary factor. These work environments are incredibly competitive and the work is insecure. By virtue of being considered an international tech hub, huge numbers of entrepreneurs, coders and engineers are attracted to these areas, creating concentrations of talented, ambitious people competing for a small pool of jobs. There is also pressure from investors to create a quick success, go public, make money and move on to the next thing. And if you're working on a product that someone has invested a lot of money in, you are incentivized to pull long hours to demonstrate that you are serious and to try to make the product a success. People are working harder and longer and in the midst of this drive for productivity, leaving your desk to have a meal becomes an inconvenience and a liability. Under these conditions, food and eating are seen as time sucks. They are superfluous to the goal of getting more work done. And from this perspective, it makes sense to try to reduce or eliminate these limitations. Soylent is an American brand, but the product that I tried was from a UK brand called Huel, which is H-U-E-L. 
which is a powder made from oats, brown rice, pea, flaxseed, sunflower, and medium chain triglycerides from coconut with added vitamins and minerals. Now the makers say that the product is designed to provide at least 100% of the UK and European Union reference intakes and nutrient reference values for all of the essential nutrients. And this is the basis on which they make the claim that it is nutritionally complete, which again, I'll go into when I get round to talking about the nutritional composition. A serving of Huel is made up by mixing five parts water to one part powder, blending it, and then it can be consumed immediately. They also provide flavour boosts such as cocoa, matcha and strawberry that you can add to the vanilla or unflavoured base powder. Which takes me to my next question. Is it food? One of the main criticisms of these products is that they are not actually food. On the website, Huel describe themselves as a nutritionally complete powdered food. And interestingly, most of these products go to quite a lot of effort to avoid being described as a meal replacement or a shake. The social media team at Huel work really hard, actually, if you go onto their Instagram account, to reinforce the message that Huel is food and not a replacement for it. It is food, they say, in a liquid form. But who's right? Professor Kelly Brownell is an international expert on food policy, former director at the Rudd Centre for Food Policy and Obesity and director of the Yale Centre for Eating and Weight Disorders. He explains how much of how we decide whether something is food or not is socially constructed. For example, in the West, it's unusual to eat insects. We understand an insect to be either part of nature or simply a pest. However, of course, in many parts of the world, it's common to eat crickets and other insects, and insects provide cheap and sustainable protein for millions of people. Similarly, there are many arguments online about what constitutes real food in the West, suggesting that real food can be defined in relation to the amount of processing it has gone through or its relative nutritional profile. Many people, for example, would argue that a bowl of homemade soup does count as food, but a sachet of instant soup that you add water to is not, even though both provide nutrients and come in a largely liquid form. So our beliefs about what food is are shaped by our environment. And this makes products like Huel quite interesting as they are actively attempting to shift our idea of what food is by making the case that a nutrient-rich drink is a food and therefore that an adequate portion of it counts as a meal. If we take the very broad definition that a food is a substance that is consumed, that provides energy and nutrients required for life, then these products are actually food. But it's also true that the form that those nutrients come in make a difference to whether it's considered food or not. You know, commonly we talk about food and drink, and that distinction would indicate that food are nutrients in solid form and that drink is liquid. Now sticking to this definition would make these products I don't know, nutritionally enriched drinks? But then is soup a food? If you've taken a solid food and blended it with water, does it stop being food? I think in the end, we have to come down on the side that these products do, by our most commonly accepted criteria, count as food. And of course, new foods are being developed and launched all the time. Some last and some don't. But I think what makes drinkable meals so interesting psychologically is the reason behind their development. Back to Rob Reinhardt, the maker of Soylent, who said, not having to worry about food is fantastic. 
no groceries or dishes, no deciding what to eat, no endless conversations weighing the relative merits of gluten-free, keto, paleo or vegan. Power and water bills are lower. I save hours a day and hundreds of dollars a month. I feel liberated from the crushing amount of repetitive drudgery. So he's got some pretty strong views about food, cooking and eating. Similarly, convenience is one of the main selling points of Huel. In fact, all of the manufacturers of these products highlight the inconvenience of conventional food. Shopping, preparation, cooking, chewing. The time and effort that it takes to prepare normal foods is, they say, one of its flaws. This drive for convenience is not dissimilar to the revolution in food processing between 1930 and 1960. Canned, dried and frozen meals reduced the burden of meal preparation for middle and working class families, making it easier for women who had recently joined the workforce to be able to leave the kitchen, get out to work and still feed their families. So technological advances in food played their role in shifting expectations and a division of labour. But that shift hasn't come without its costs. And there is a case to be made that our increasing outsourcing of our meals to large food manufacturers and restaurants is having a negative impact on our health. Foods that are prepared at home tend to be lower in salt and sugar and contain more vegetables than meals eaten outside of the home. There are a number of companies that are now trying to bridge this gap between the convenience of eating out and the health of cooking from scratch. Meal kit delivery companies like Blue Apron in the US and Gusto and HelloFresh in the UK aim to reduce the amount of planning, preparation and food waste required to cook from scratch whilst at the same time supplying healthy meals. Arguably then, powdered food products are the pinnacle of this ambition. A nutritious, balanced meal that takes less than five minutes to prepare. So, how do you make it and what does it taste like? I tried the new and improved vanilla powder. In appearance, it's a coarse beige powder that looks like, if you've seen it, the peanut butter powder that you can find in the supermarkets. In my notes, as I was tasting it, I described the smell as not too off-putting, <laughs> if that helps. The booklet that comes with your delivery of fuel advises you to pour 400 millilitres of water into the shaker provided. Then it says to add three scoops of fuel and shake for 10 seconds. Now, they also provide a link to an instructional video advising you on the optimal shaking technique. And my guess is that this is in response to customer feedback about the texture because despite my timed and textbook vigorous shaking, there were still a lot of lumps in the finished drink and the lumps were massively off-putting. So to be honest, I think a blender is probably essential to get a palatable texture. For me, the taste was very flat. It was watery and the main thing that I could taste was the artificial sweetener. You know, the way that artificial sweeteners, that they have the intense sweetness, but not that rounded flavour of real sugar. Personally, I don't like the taste or the potential effects of artificial sweetness, so I do avoid them. My personal position on them might be why the flavour was so overwhelming for me, but that said, by about halfway through the first glass, the overall flavour was okay. I found the texture very powdery, even though I had, after shaking it, blended it in a high-powered blender. The vanilla flavour, on its own, feels very utilitarian. It's very, very no frills. It doesn't give the impression that this is necessarily something that's meant to be enjoyed. It has a job to do, and I suppose, in that sense, it gets it done. 
but the texture really makes it not very satisfying compared to a standard homemade smoothie or shake. And looking down in my glass, I did have this weird flash forward to a dystopian future where the human race, having exhausted all the resources on the planet, had to survive on liquid nutrition. It felt a bit like the movie The Road, but without the cannibalism. Unsurprisingly, it took me a little while to work up to trying it again. I wanted to give the product a fair trial, but every time I thought about having it, I started to feel sad about the fact that I wouldn't be having an actual meal. But I did try it again, um, and I attempted again to make it with a shaker, but it was still lumpy. And I've said exactly the same thing in my tasting notes. Tastes flat, still the overwhelming flavour of artificial sweetener texture still powdery and again by about halfway through the flavour was tolerable but there was that persistent aftertaste that I didn't find pleasant. The recommended serving works out to be about 700 meals and I drank 500 before I started to feel full and that wasn't the kind of fullness you get from food but that kind of liquid fullness you get when you drink too much water too quickly. As an eating experience it feels very perfunctory which obviously I guess it is. It gets the job done, as I said before. If the job is nutrients and the absence of hunger, then that's what you're getting. So if you're someone who's not interested in the process of eating, selection, preparation, cooking, chewing, then it probably makes sense. It's also probably worth noting that there were mixed reviews from the people that I tested it on. One person tried to use it as a nutritional boost to their usual smoothie and in their feedback they said, I put it in my smoothie, it ruined my smoothie. <laughs> However, the other person enjoyed it. They said it tasted like pea protein powder. So I think if you drink protein shakes, it won't feel too unfamiliar. And again, that person noted that it was sweet, but without the full body of sugar, um, i.e. you know that it's sweetener. They also said that they would eat it if they couldn't be bothered to cook or if they got home very late and didn't want to cook uh, a meal from scratch. And for them, it made sense as a backup source of food. But the maker of Soylent, at least, claimed to have lived on his product for a whole month and more recently said that he only actually ate real food at the weekends. So what are the nutritional implications of using a drinkable food as your main or regular source of nutrition? Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. 
That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Despite the books on biology that Rob has read, he is in fact incorrect in his assertion that it doesn't make any difference to your body whether the nutrients that we receive are in the form of a powder or a carrot. And that's true for a few reasons. The first thing to say is that nutrition is complicated. I think sometimes news headlines about research can give an oversimplified impression of the effect of food on the body. Partly, this is because of the nature of conducting research. When designing a study and applying for funding, researchers have to make a clear case. So they'll have to say something like, we're looking at the effect of this isolated nutrient on this one aspect of health or this pathway in the body. However, we don't eat nutrients. We eat foods and even an individual food like a lettuce leaf or a carrot can have thousands of different compounds that affect the body. And then when you combine it with another food, there are all these other synergistic effects affecting which and how much of each nutrient is absorbed and metabolized. A really famous example of this mistake about nutrients was something called the CARAT study. And the CARAT study was an intervention that was designed to treat lung disease in smokers. The researchers hypothesized from previous animal trials that beta-carotene and retinol, which are isolated forms of vitamin A, had anti-tumor properties and would be beneficial to reduce the risk and progress of lung cancer in smokers. In the trial, patients were randomized to receive either high doses of the supplement or an inactive placebo. And as the trial went on, it was discovered that the patients taking the supplement were actually developing more tumors and they were growing more quickly and the trial had to be stopped. The researchers hadn't appreciated what would happen in the body with high doses of a supplement and that it actually interfered with the body's own immune response. It's also true that there are thousands of beneficial compounds in foods that we haven't identified yet. And this is my personal query with the statement that this product is nutritionally complete. Yes, it may be covering all the known bases, but it eliminates the unknown beneficial compounds that are present in whole foods. And I know this might be a very pedantic point, but I think it's worth noting. My final point on the general nutrition is that the recommended daily values are an average for the healthy population in order to prevent disease. So to take a simple example, let's think about vitamin D. Vitamin D is synthesized in the skin on contact with sunshine. For most people in Europe, this is the case for Caucasian people who spend enough time outdoors with their skin exposed. However, people with dark skin have higher natural protection from UVB and therefore do not synthesize vitamin D as efficiently. Therefore, the required amounts of vitamin D for people with dark skin, people who habitually cover their skin, or people with dark skin living in northern climates is higher. And that's just one vitamin and one variable. Nutrients also affect our hormones, our gut microbiomes, our genetics, and this will affect metabolism and absorption. So 
yeah, nutrition is complicated and I worry that products like this can present an oversimplified view of nutrition. My next concern was with fibre. Research into the gut microbiome is still very young, but what we know for the moment is that gut health and therefore general health is associated with a diverse microbiome and microbial diversity is promoted by diversity of foods and a range of prebiotic fibres. Now the fibres in this product are limited to oats and peas. In 2015, the UK government increased the daily requirement of fibre to 30 grams for adults. And actually many nutritional professionals feel that even this figure is too low and we should be aiming for something closer to 50 grams. Other researchers estimate that our ancestors were consuming in the region of 300 to 400 grams per day of a variety of fibres, which would certainly be ambitious, but the reality at the moment is that few people are even reaching the original recommended 30 grams. So if you were consuming this product regularly, it would be important to make sure that you were taking in adequate amounts of fibre from the rest of your diet. Then there are, for me, a couple of ingredients that were worth considering a bit more deeply. The regular listeners might remember that in my interview with leading gut health researcher, Professor John Cryan, he said that research indicated that emulsifiers appeared to have a negative impact on the gut microbiome and animal trials demonstrate that they can drive inflammation in the gut, which we don't want. This product contains two emulsifiers, xanthan gum, which has been linked in one trial to inflammation of the gut in babies. On the other hand, the other emulsifier, which is called guar gum, may benefit the gut. So maybe it balances out. However, there is growing evidence that the sweetener used in this product, sucralose, could induce insulin resistance, which is a precursor to type two diabetes, and that it may also be pro-inflammatory. Now, of course, it's really important to say that all of the ingredients have been deemed safe in the amounts that they appear in this product. So I'm not saying by virtue of having them, it's unsafe, but personally, it's something that I would want to be thinking about. To get an expert perspective on the implications of gut health or regular consumption of this product, I reached out to gut health researcher and science communicator, Dr. Megan Rossi, and you can find her at the gut health doctor on Instagram. And she said that any effects would depend on the quantities consumed, the conditions of the person's gut at baseline, and what other foods they were eating. So there aren't any definitive risks, but I would want to err on the side of caution and suggest if you are considering using this product on a regular basis to make sure that you're getting plenty of veggies, fruit and whole grains to ensure that you're getting a diverse range of fibres into your diet. But those were my personal thoughts. I sent out a survey asking for people to send me their thoughts. So what did the survey say? 30 people responded to my anonymous survey. Thank you all very, very much. I really appreciate it. And they said a little bit about their experience with drinkable meals. Of that 30, 21 of them were female. Now this is likely to reflect that I am followed by more women than men on social media. So it might be more of an artifact of the sample rather than a true reflection of who is a typical person who's buying this product. Again, unfortunately, I wasn't able to speak to the makers of the product to find out who they think their target market is or who most often consumes it. Um, so that's all I have to go on. I asked people to state which of these products they had used. 17 people had used Huel, 8 had tried Soylent, 
One person had tried Ambronite, which is a drinkable meal that is, interestingly, marketed as being made of real food and not artificial supplements. So that's that brand's attempt to distinguish itself from its competitors. It contains ingredients like nettle leaf and coconut sugar and spirulina. So it's very much tapping into the buzzwords of wellness at the moment. If the specific product that they had tried was not listed, people were given the opportunity to write in the names of what they consider to be similar products. Slimfast came up twice, as did Purition, which is a brand of protein and meal replacement shakes. The Purition website states that the product helps you to build the body you want, is high in protein and low in carbs. Lighter Life meal replacements also made the list. Lighter Life is an extreme weight loss system in which you replace all of your food with their food packs that come in at 600 calories a day. Now I'm really not a fan of these extreme crash diets but I will save you for now my rant about them. Premier Protein Shakes also made the list, which is a range of high protein, low sugar foods that are very much marketed at people seeking an athletic body shape. After that came Juice Master, which is a range of juice diets in which you replace your solid meals with vegetable and fruit juices. The website lists this as a juice detox, and we all know by now that food-based detoxification has no basis in science. In fact, the herb and tea brand Pucker has just been advised by the Advertising Standards Authority to remove the word detox from its website. So I won't go into that any further. If you want to hear my thoughts on detox, I will link to a post I wrote about why the whole notion is completely unsubstantiated. The final product mentioned was a German meal replacement drink called Saturo, which is marketed as a convenient and healthy food for when you're short of time. So you may have noticed that despite not advertising themselves as such, these responses indicate that, at least for the responses of my survey, products like Huel and Soylent are perceived as weight loss aids in the same category as products like Slimfast. And indeed, weight loss was the second most popular reason that people tried it. Many people described the convenience as their main reason, and an equal number were either gifted or recommended it by a friend or family member, or they were just curious. The most popular reason given, though, was nutrition. In particular, people were concerned about trying to avoid snacking and described a desire to eat something healthy when they were in a rush or they didn't have the energy to make a traditional meal. In my survey, 60% of the respondents had stopped using their drinkable meal product. Of those who continued to consume them, the majority did so on an occasional basis. It seemed to become a backup for those odd times when they found themselves in a particular rush. Of those who stopped using the product, they gave a range of reasons. Um, some found the price prohibitive, it was just too expensive to keep doing it. Others said that they just preferred real food and found themselves more motivated after having tried the product to make a bit more effort with meal prep. A couple of people said that they had had digestive issues from the product, but by far the most common complaint was the taste. These are some of the nutritional highlights and the feedback from customers, but right at the top of the episode, I said that I was also thinking about what the rise of these products say about our social relationship with food. Now, first of all, it's true that these products are nothing new. Ensure, a nutritional shake, has been on the market since the 1970s. 
Hospitals put products like this on prescription for people who have had gastric surgery or other problems chewing or digesting food. So the major shift then is not in the product itself, but in the marketing. And what these products have achieved is to move the focus of these foods away from being a medicinal food for people who are unwell or rehabilitating from illness to being a food choice for healthy people. So let's go back to Rob Reinhardt and Soylent. And their website says, Soylent powder is designed to provide efficient, streamlined nutrition. We are always updating and iterating on our formula to ensure our products keep up with the latest scientific findings and always delivering a delicious, satisfying experience. Now, if there are any linguists listening, I think you'll find that description really interesting. Words like efficient, streamlined and formula really emphasize the scientific technological aspects of the product. These words are designed to appeal to people looking for optimization. It's almost as if to say, these aren't vegetables that have just been pulled out of the mud. (laughs) This has been created in the lab and therefore it's an improvement. They want you to have a satisfying experience, not a meal, for example. Huel also makes the case for efficiency. On their website, they list the benefits of Huel being that because it takes just two minutes to make, it saves you time, money, is simple to prepare, and because the powder is shelf stable for 12 months, there's less food waste. Even the name is a combination of the words human and fuel. So encapsulated in the brand name is the suggestion of the functional nature of the product you can see that the emphasis is clearly on the time-saving properties of these types of products. But what does that tell us? It says something about how busy we are. And in modern life, busy is used as a marker of status. Being busy means that you're important, that there are lots of demands on your time. So in one sense, the need to use these foods is a sign of value as well as being a sign that you're ahead of the curve. This is part of the glorification of busy. And if I can tell you one thing for sure, it's that being busy is not a marker of life satisfaction. So maybe I should start wrapping this review up. From my personal perspective, Huel isn't for me. For one, I don't like the taste, but more than that, I think there are other quick meals that I could fall back on when I'm short of time. Now, of course, I am someone who really likes to cook and is interested in food. And as I mentioned earlier, if that's not you, then you may find here a useful nutritional insurance policy for times when you're particularly busy or tired. On that note, I did think that there was one group who could potentially really benefit from these products. As regular listeners or followers of my Instagram account will know, food is really important in terms of our risk of depression. However, when someone is severely depressed, it can feel impossible to find the energy or motivation to cook a meal. In that case, in as far as it might feel more manageable and it would supply important nutrients to someone who isn't eating properly, I think something like this would be a good choice. And I would much prefer someone who was severely depressed to be using this product than say, just getting by on sweets or cups of coffee. And similarly, people with fatigue, pain or mobility disorders 
might find them useful from time to time, with the caveat about potential effects on gut health. On balance, I think in a sense, drinkable meals are pretty much the same as having meal kits delivered to your door. Both types of products claim to provide you with a nutritionally balanced meal with the added bonus of convenience. With meal kits, they have measured all the ingredients for you. With drinkable meals, you don't even have to chew. It's not that I think these foods themselves are an issue, but more that they are symbolic of a shift in society's values, and I think aspects of that shift are problematic. What does it mean, for example, to be too busy to feed yourself? Why is that okay? What does it mean about our priorities that we can't leave our desks for 30 minutes out of a 10-hour day to eat a meal? We're privileging work over sustenance. And what does that say about how we conceptualise ourselves? For me, I think it highlights that increasingly we see ourselves as units of production, that our value is completely tied up either in our grades, the salary we can achieve, or the promotions we can accumulate. And within that view, our most basic human needs for rest and to eat become seen as inconvenient or inefficient demands on our time, rather than the very basis of self-care and self-respect. I know, that's a little deep. But that's it, I'll leave it there for now. If you stuck with it this far, I hope you found at least some of this episode useful or interesting. If you have your own thoughts or experiences with these products, I would love to hear from you. So do add a comment under the post on Instagram. I will be back soon with some fab guests who share their food stories with me. And that just leaves me to thank you very, very much for listening. And until next time, I wish you the very best of health. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.